Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Today in the Bell Tale, the vet, the sheep, and the paired. I know, but I was brought up to do what was right and to stand up for what was right. And I'm proud that that... that that I do that doesn't it's not always easy whistleblower Tamara Bronkers highlighted the suffering of animals that was her job there was no water there was no food some sheep were extremely lame and had foot rot all of these sheep were empty looking which means that their sides are falling in because you knew that they weren't fed how did the mistreatment of a Department of Agriculture vet lead to a massive 1.25 million pound settlement I said to him I said if you want to sign that you sign it yourself because I won't. I have, as a vet, taken an oath that any animal under my care, that I will be responsible for its welfare and maintain its welfare. So I'm not signing this. You might think her bosses would have been happy, but they weren't. I, I said, listen, I have evidence that they have been kept in, in bad conditions in the livestock market. And he kept saying, no, it doesn't happen. That is, I think, to most people, a really extraordinary situation that the chief vet for Northern Ireland not only doesn't believe his own senior staff when they find evidence of animal suffering, but actually he won't even look at the evidence. The first voice you heard was Dr Bronkers speaking to the BBC's Nolan Show. The second belonged to the journalist who broke the story, Belfast Telegraph Northern Ireland editor Sam McBride. He joins us now. Sam, you're welcome to the studio. Tell us, how did a cash-strapped Department of Agriculture end up settling an employment case for £1.25 million? The short answer is that it got things so badly wrong that it had no option but to do this fundamentally. The long answer is that this is a department which is nowhere near as cash-strapped as it makes out to some people. It's got the money to fight whistleblowers when it wants to. It's got the money to settle with whistleblowers when it's got no option because of how it's handled things. And it got itself into such a, uh, really a uh, indefensible situation here that it seems to me that at the end of this process, just a few weeks ago, this department was absolutely desperate to settle this case. It had appealed this to the Court of Appeal. That was looming. Um, that would have been heard around now. Um, and it was really desperate, it seems to me, that it did not go there. And if you're in a desperate position and you're in a, in a uh, if you're in talks with somebody about money, you're not in a very strong position, obviously. And so it's no different whether you're trying to buy a car 
are, whether you're trying to settle a a, a, a very significant um, uh, case from one of your employees here, they had to pay what it took to get rid of this case. And that was a heck of a lot of money. It was the biggest employment um, tribunal settlement in the history of Northern Ireland. And this is so far off the charts. I mean, I have um, covered lots of employment tribunals. Sometimes people get a few hundred pounds, um, even if they're found to have been treated badly. Um, sometimes they get a few thousand or maybe uh, maybe even tens of thousands of pounds. To be getting a million pounds, to be, to be getting then 1.25 million pounds is just completely without precedent. It gives a sense of the significance of this case, how badly this person was treated and how much the public, the, the taxpayer, are going to have to pay for it. So what was this extraordinary case which led to this extraordinary amount of money being paid out? So this this case centres around a lady called um, Tamara Bronkers. She is 54 years old. She's from County Tyrone. She comes from Belgium um, before moving to Northern Ireland. She had worked in the Stormont Department of Agriculture for almost two decades. She was very experienced. She had an exemplary record. There had never been any black marks against her name within the department. And in 2016, she was promoted. She was made a senior vet in charge of enforcing the law lifestyle stock markets across Northern Ireland um, and also in charge of biosecurity and trying to prevent diseases which transfer from animals to humans. Um, That sounds quite technical, but I think that everybody listening to this in the context of COVID gets how incredibly important a job like this is. What she discovered in the course of her work very quickly, within months of um, being brought into this new position, was that one one of her colleagues contacted her. He was a vet. Um, he was out doing testing for TB, bovine TB, which is a massive problem for the Northern Ireland beef industry. Um, about £40 million a year of public money is spent trying to eradicate this disease. And he was doing routine testing. And as part of this, he spoke to a farmer who had two animals. And this farmer said to him that he had bought these animals from person X um, and actually when this vet looked at, at his computer system, the traceability system, it said he bought them from person Y and he couldn't understand this. He went to Dr. Bronkers and he said to her, I don't know what's going on here, but I think you should look into this. There's something not quite right here. She looked into it. She got the IT people within the department to run a program, which um, basically pulled in all of the um, moves by animals where there had been an animal moving from one herd to another. And one of those moves had been taken out of the system. So somebody had initially put into the system that an animal had moved between two individuals, two herds, and then they had deleted that subsequently. And she got um, the IT people to um, to quantify this. She found hundreds of animals had been in this, in this situation and she immediately began to get concerned. Do we know who deleted uh, these moves from the system? We do to a certain extent. We know that um, one of the key um, groups of people involved in these deletions were livestock markets, but they were doing them at the behest of people who were buying the animals. So there is a system where if you um, go to a market as a farmer, you sell your animal, you may sell it to another farmer and he takes it home and brings it into his herd, or you may sell it to a dealer and he might try to then sell the animal on for a profit. That's that's what a dealer does. Um, or if he can't get a buyer, he brings it 
at home to his herd. And if he sells it on um, at the market and so it never actually changes um, uh, its 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 uh, real location, it's it, it's been at the market all day, there, there is this system whereby you're able to delete the move that it, that, that it really didn't go into his herd. And so therefore, you can update the record, if you like, to reflect reality. That's not what was happening here. What was happening was that animals were going home to another herd for up to 55 hours, so more than two days in another herd. Some of these herds um, were not clear of TB. They were restricted because of TB. And when they came out of these herds, which had restrictions for TB, they went into herds that were clear of TB. And Dr. Bronkers immediately said, this is a massive problem. We don't know where these animals have been because they're being deleted out of the system. And when she went to her colleagues in the department, what they um, said in summary was that they really weren't, that they, they, they didn't agree with her, that there was a significant issue here. And within the department, there was a big computer system. If we, if we try to um, think about this in simple terms, the big computer system inside the Stormont department um, always kept these moves even after they were deleted so Stormont can honestly say, we still have all of the records of this. But the bit that really matters here and the reason why people wanted to delete these moves out of the system um, is that the other part of the system, which is used by most people, which is accessed by most people, whether they're at livestock markets, whether they're farmers, whether they're abattoirs, um, whether they're vets testing for TB, this is what's known as the front end of the system, the bit that they see. And that's where these were being deleted. So they technically still were in the system somewhere, but it wasn't much use if they couldn't be seen by the people who needed to see that those moves were there. Dr. Bronkers, extremely diligent, hardworking. One would almost expect she'd be rewarded for her hard work, but that's not what happened. That's not always how Stormont works, I'm afraid. Um, actually, her civil service colleagues not only showed no enthusiasm for what she was doing, but they began a systemic year-long um, really campaign against her where she was excluded from meetings. Um, she was told not to do parts of her job, which she was contractually obliged to do as a vet. Um, she, was, um, she was misrepresented behind her back. There was really a very unpleasant um, series of um, circumstances where she was um, really treated abysmally by her colleagues, by very senior colleagues in the department. And one of the things that had significantly concerned Dr. Bronkers was that there was the potential for serious fraud here. One of the reasons why animal moves around farms is significant is because of the spread of disease. But it's not the only reason. The other reason is that a, a cow or a, um, a uh, animal which is being sold ultimately to an abattoir for beef um, is worth much more if it hasn't moved around very much during its life. So there is a welfare issue here for animals. Supermarkets want to be able to say, and several years ago persuaded the meat industry to change the rules um, so that they would say that any animal which came for slaughter and had moved more than four times during its life was worth significantly less. So there was a lot of money riding on whether these animals had moved. She very quickly realised that this was not just relevant to the part of her job that related to animal disease, but also potentially to fraud, to the system which involves traceability of beef, which is um, central to the credibility of Northern Ireland's beef industry. There was the potential that this system was not only being abused in a way that was potentially spreading disease, but it was also misleading buyers of meat, both at abattoirs and ultimately us as consumers. 
Are we actually saying here that Dr. Bronkers was expected uh, and indeed encouraged to ignore obvious animal welfare issues? Well, that, that is the clear implication of how she was treated by her colleagues. Indeed, in some ways, it was pretty explicit. So there, there were two issues here. There was this issue of animal moves being deleted out of the traceability system. But while she was looking at that and really getting nowhere with her colleagues, a second issue emerged. And this was to do with animal suffering at, at livestock markets, specifically at Balamina Livestock Market. Somebody got in touch with her and basically tipped her off as a senior vet that there were animals being kept in conditions which were improper and actually she believed unlawful at Balamina Livestock Market. There were sheep being kept overnight without um, food, without water, being kept in cramped conditions. Some of them were lame. Um, She went to investigate this herself. She discovered that this was happening. She saw it with her own eyes. She said to me when I interviewed her that she had um, gone to these sheep and she had given them water out of a bucket. She says normally sheep don't drink water out of a bucket and these sheep did drink water out of the bucket. She said that she threw bits of hay into them that she found lying about the market. They fought each other to get eating this hay. This was a pretty serious animal welfare situation. This wasn't the only situation at Balamina um, Livestock Market where there were animal welfare issues. There was a heifer which had been injured in a separate incident where it was put in a pen with a bull. Um, She saw sheep coming off a double-deck lorry and going into the market which had not been disinfected as the legislation requires for very good reason to to prevent foot and mouth disease spreading and other very serious diseases spreading. And so she had a whole series of concerns about this market. So serious were her concerns that she wanted to bring them manager into the department and interview him under caution. That was with a view to potential prosecution. It was the first step towards that. And when she went to her line manager, Julian Henderson, he would have none of this. He said, that's not going to happen. He then said to her, what you can do is write him a stiff letter, basically. She did that. It was a very tough letter. She put she put into that all of the evidence that she had gathered. He didn't like that. He told her that he wanted to take out lots of that evidence. He then did take out lots of that evidence. She refused to sign the letter. She, she then said to me that he got very angry with her. And ultimately, he signed that letter. He sent it to Balamina Livestock Market. But there was then this second element of what happened around animal welfare, which made this even more concerning. It wasn't that there was a rogue line manager within the Department for Agriculture, Julian Henderson, who was trying to stop her doing her job. This, as she saw it, and as the judge who heard this employment tribunal case um, said, went right to the top of the veterinary division within the Department of Agriculture. Robert Huey, who is the chief vet for Northern Ireland, a very senior figure within the agriculture industry in Northern Ireland. He called Dr. Bronkers into his office one day. He he asked her about what was going on here and she laid out to him some of what she had seen at the market. He remonstrated with her and said, this simply would not happen. It could not happen. Um, She said, I've seen it with my own eyes. He said, I'm sorry, this could not happen. I know the manager of Balamina Livestock Market personally. I know its chairman. Um, This does not happen. It is not happening. There's no reason for this to happen. She said to him, really exasperated, look, I'm sorry, I have the evidence of it here. Here are photographs. Here's a report I've done about what I've seen. Look at it. Here it is. It's on the desk. He refused, she says, to even look at this evidence of animal suffering. 
That is, I think, to most people, a really extraordinary situation that the chief vet for Northern Ireland not only doesn't believe his own senior staff when they find evidence of animal suffering, but actually he won't even look at the evidence. And he says to them, I don't want you to pursue this. I know the manager of that market personally. Um, Dr. Bronkers is Belgian originally. Was her nationality mentioned? Was it a factor in this? It was, um, despite Dr. Huey's denial that that was the case. So in this meeting with Dr. Huey, um, she was told by him, she told the tribunal, that in Belgium they may do things like this, and they probably do, but here we do things differently. We work with the industry. I I said, listen, I have evidence that they have been kept in, in bad conditions in the livestock market, and he kept saying, no, it doesn't happen. He says, and here we do not... Uh, work like this he says they probably do work like that in Belgium and I'm sure they do he says but here we work with the industry now that was something which Dr Huey vehemently denied to the to the tribunal he had ever said but the judge didn't believe him she said in fact that she found his evidence lacking in credibility um, throughout this she said that at every instance where um, his evidence had diverged from that of Dr. Bronkers as the whistleblower, he was somebody who, who the judge did not believe and Dr. Bronkers was somebody who the judge did believe. She had given the true account of this, the judge said, and Dr. Huey had not. Dr. Henderson, actually, even though in large part he was on the same side as Dr. Huey in this, he was arguing against Dr. Bronkers, he was facing serious allegations from her. He told the tribunal that um, she had come out of this meeting in a pretty distressed state. She was in tears and she had said to him that there had been a comment about Belgium. We work with the industry from Dr. Huey. That's quite the quote, really. And I know he, he denies making it. But isn't it the department's job and isn't it the veterinary division of the department's job to, for want of a better word, police the industry? It is. And I think what this case exposes, as often is the case with a with a single incident, a single person, a single whistleblower um, in a scandal, is something that goes far beyond the facts of this case. What this exposes is that Stormont's Department for Agriculture is far too close to the people it's meant to be regulating. The most benign interpretation of what happened here in this case is that Dr. Huey and Dr. Henderson and some of the other people involved in this case simply saw themselves as being there to facilitate the agriculture industry. They weren't there to enforce the law, um, certainly not in anything other than the most extreme of cases. They would try to go and talk to people nicely. They'd send them letters. They um, certainly wouldn't be interviewing them under caution if they could at, could at all avoid it. Um, and that 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 is the most generous interpretation of how he operated here. And yet the real problem with that is not only that there is no point having laws if you don't have somebody to enforce them, particularly particularly when it uh, comes to something as significant as really infectious diseases spreading, where there's a massive cost to the public um, person, also where there is a significant potential for fraud, where there's the the um, very significant, um, uh, the very real potential, as Dr. Brunker says, she saw with her own eyes of animals suffering in some of these circumstances. But there is also the issue here of the credibility of Northern Ireland's entire livestock industry, its cattle industry, 
it's beef industry, it's sheep industry. This is a massive economic part of Northern Ireland's economy. It is a very significant, a disproportionately significant element of our economy. And its credibility was hammered by the BSE crisis in the 1990s. It was then hammered by the foot and mouth crisis. And we're only now really recovering in some markets, getting back into some markets globally as a result of this Rolls-Royce traceability system as the Stormont Department for Agriculture has sold it to the public and to the industry and to the people who ultimately buy and eat this meat. If that is put in jeopardy by short-term uh, ignoring of concerns about what's really going on within this system, it's incredibly unwise. It's not just wrong in a, in a, in a fundamental way. It's also actually quite stupid. What does this latest incident, I suppose, tell us about the Northern Ireland Civil Service as a whole? What this has exposed is that the Northern Ireland Civil Service is fundamentally broken. It is an organisation which was exposed by the RHI scandal to have been incompetent, to have been weak in standing up to ministers who were um, who were trying to do things that they should not have been doing or to special advisors who were doing things which um, they really should not have been doing. But there was a very clear message from the civil service and from Stormont ministers up until recent weeks that they had learned the error of their ways, that they had put in place new procedures, new processes, new codes of conduct. They had done all of this uh, really significant work to try to ensure this could never happen again. They would listen to whistleblowers, unlike what they did in the RHI scandal. They would take them seriously. They would treat um, much more robustly civil servants who stepped out of line. All of this was told to the public and frankly all of it is nonsense based on what we see in this case. I think that there is a very um, fundamental problem here for the head of the civil service, Dr. Jane Brady. She was brought in from outside the Northern Ireland Civil Service with one main and very clear and pressing issue to deal with. That was to reform the Northern Ireland Civil Service. She doesn't have the ties that other civil servants might have to this either institutionally or simply through having worked with these people um, during her rise to the top of that organisation. She came in as an outsider. Um, there was an expectation that she might be able to do things that people who had risen up through the traditional route to the top of the civil service could not do. And so far, she is failing to reform this organisation. She has said that she's not going to get involved in this because it might come across her desk at some future point through a disciplinary process. That might in normal times be acceptable. I don't think very many people will view that as acceptable in circumstances where one of the individuals involved in persecuting this whistleblower, Dr. Julian Henderson, has just been promoted by the Northern Ireland Civil Service. He is now temporary deputy chief vet for Northern Ireland. Think about that. This man has not been disciplined. He's actually been rewarded on the watch of the head of the civil service. She says that she can't really do very much about that, that that's a matter for the Department of Agriculture. And yet that fundamentally undermines the claims from the civil service that they've learned from RHI because one of the RHI inquiries recommendations was that that scandal exposed how the Northern Ireland um, government, its civil service, its, its departmental structures worked in silos. One department didn't talk to another and actually sometimes one department was working against another. And here we have the 
head of the civil service, the most senior person in the civil service, saying, this dreadful thing has happened. A man who was involved in persecuting a whistleblower has been rewarded. He hasn't been disciplined and there's nothing I can do about it. That's a matter for the Department of Agriculture. I think most people will be appalled by that. It doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me one bit because that's the culture. It's the culture. Everybody who does something wrong or gets reprimanded seems to be either sidetracked or put into a higher position. Would you have an analysis which you think could improve the situation? I think there are two very simple things that can improve this. The first is not around changing codes or procedures or any of the things that um, people who are bureaucrats just love to get stuck into. What really needs to happen here is that the rules that do exist, and there are plenty of rules, I've looked at the Civil Service Disciplinary Handbook, they need to crack down hard on people who have behaved in ways that are indefensible. But the second area where I think change can come about here and is coming about here is through individual um, civil servants basically taking this into their own hands, basically um, saying that they don't accept that their superiors are going to do the right thing here. They've been in the system long enough to know how it operates. They see how it operates to this day. And so what's the point of going through their internal processes if they're not going to be listened to? And actually, they might lose their jobs, as happened to Dr. Bronkers. And so they're coming to people like us. They're coming to journalists. I think that sort of rebellion within the civil service, particularly at the lower ranks and at, at the middle ranks, but actually up to quite senior levels, is thoroughly healthy. I think there's hope in that. It shows that not everybody in this system is feckless or incompetent or trying to cover up bad behaviour um, or lazy about what's going on here. There are people who genuinely want to do the right thing. And I think it's very important that when we talk about the Northern Ireland Civil Service and its fundamental mental shortcomings, that we recognise there are good people in there. I have been staggered over the last week. I haven't even been able to open all the letters that have come in the post to me, the emails, the phone calls, the messages. Some of that will be fluff. Some of it will be people with agendas. Some of it will be people who um, are misunderstanding what's going on. But there are people there who are trying to do the right thing. That, I think, gives us hope here. Sam McBride, Belfast Telegraph, Northern Ireland editor. Thank you very much. This podcast was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar, with sound design from Graham Davidson. The clips were from the BBC and Q Radio. When you get an Irish independent digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a €75 O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kit and caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish Independent. Terms and conditions apply.